Hey, Antonio, welcome back. It's true. Yeah, I'm back. I've been here. Oh, how many years now? I'm not counting. Antonio, uh, the last time we met is two years ago, I think. Uh, during COVID time, we couldn't see each I other. I guess so. It was the episode 135, I guess. Or th um, Actually, I looked it up. And forgot about that. Antonio. Well, if it was in 2021. Yeah, it was. Um, well, we were in the middle of the COVID or now at the end, I think. 135 writing boring software from WebLogic over Glassfish to Quarkus. And it was April 2021. Yeah, we were locked in. Yeah. But Adam, since then, the world has opened up and we haven't met uh, physically in none of the conferences yet. Yeah, but because I still you know, enjoy my uh, lockdown, <laughs> I try to avoid conferences and focus on code. So you know, uh, everyone forgot about me. So this is actually good quiet time. So you know, I I like to go. You know, I've been to Devox Belgium, uh, mm -hmm. Devox France, of course, and that's, you know, less conferences than. I used to go, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Less Java user groups. Also, I think that the local user groups took a bit more time to recover after the COVID. Mm -hmm. So in France, before the COVID, there was more than 20 active user groups. Mm -hmm. And I can see that it's still a bit quiet, you know. Mm -hmm. There used to be monthly meetings, you know, throughout the entire country. Now it's quieter. Some user groups have not disappeared, but are a bit shy in terms of conferences. Some still do uh, remote stuff. Mm -hmm. So, we, yeah, I think the COVID affected small user groups more than big conferences. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I organized DevOx. It's a huge machine. You have to book the venue two or three years in advance. Uh, uh, things must happen because uh, the cost is so high. And mm -hmm. when you are a user group, you have, you have this flexibility mm -hmm. of you know, doing a conference or not, you don't have the same pressure. And I think um, some of them are still struggling to come back. I attended two in-person uh, Java user groups since then. One was in uh, Zurich and it was extremely well attended. So I was surprised. I think 100 people or something. Good. And the other one was Enterprise Java user group Linz was the very first after COVID, so like revamp. And this was okay, like I think 20 attendees. But are very passionate, and um, and uh, but this was the a small one in in Linz in in Austria, so this was my user group, uh, and and online was I was Chicago, and but everything was uh, online, you know. Mm -hmm. What are you doing since uh, two two years? Are you still working as a freelancer or what? Wow, life has changed so much, Adam. Uh, I was two years ago. I was yeah. A free uh, a freelancer doing my things. Uh, due to COVID and due to lockdown, I've lost a few customers. That's when I had the idea of uh, writing two books on Quarkus. Mm -hmm. When I get bored, I write books. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and then life has changed. Uh, what were the titles of, of of the books? So we can understanding. Them. So the understanding Quarkus. Mm -hmm. So it goes through you know. A few technologies used by mm -hmm. Quarkus, uh, CDI, JAX-RS, uh, mm -hmm. uh, 
uh, reactive programming and so, so on. So you basically, you know, copied the Glassfish book over the Corpus, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> no, totally different, actually. But no, no, no. It's you changed the font. You changed the font, right? I changed so, the font. No, right. it's true that um, on the on the CDI, JAXRS, Bean Validation, mm -hmm. JPA, all, all the common stuff, mm -hmm. it was quite interesting because I, I, I did some copy-paste and uh, updated uh, mm -hmm. the technologies. But then it's, uh, you know, it's full Quarkus. So understanding Quarkus and um, practicing Quarkus, where it's a more hands-on, it takes you from page one till the last page and you build microservices and so on. So mm -hmm. the understanding is really going from technology A to technology B to technology C and practicing it's really let's, mm -hmm. let's uh, develop an entire microservice uh, architecture. Funny story about Corcus and Glassfish because um, uh, I think the last time we we talked was uh, two years ago. But last year, I was um, I was invited to a conference and uh, the conference was a bigger one. It was JDD. Maybe you also know the conference in Krakow. Yeah. Um, and uh, the interesting part is uh, the very first time I think I attended two thousand six or eight, and then two thousand ten, I submitted a talk. Uh, Java six. The future is now but it's not evenly distributed yet. And the cool story is they invited me again, but uh, you know, I did some research in my mailbox and I found my own my old proposal. So what I did, I looked it up and I found myself on YouTube. So I rewatched my talk, what I did. And I think, okay, this was Glassfish. So what I did uh, 10 years later, I ported, migrated my old code, you know, to see whether I was actually right to Quarkus and it worked more or less out of the box from Java 6 to Java 17, I think, last year. And then I deployed as Lambda, uh, as, an, as, an, as an function, to be serverless. But um, because I think what we preach now all the time, that like the Java is stable, and um, it is actually true. If you take a, take a look at Glassfish code, it's very, very similar to, you know, a 10 years old code. So either, you know... Um, and um, what surprised me, uh, rewatching my own talk, you know, how modern back then Java already looked. So there was not much difference. You know, the only difference is back then we had stateless and now we replace stateless with request scoped and transactional. This is the, the main difference. And anything else was pretty much the same. I, even back then, I didn't use private anymore for unit testing and then Quarkus would do the same. So, um, and this is what my clients really like because uh, they say, okay, we have to go to the cloud. What, what do we have to do? And I say, actually nothing. If, if your application was already built back then, you know, with no dependencies and lean and pragmatic, then if you are lucky, there is nothing else to do. And, and if you, you know, used crazy frameworks and dependencies, we have to, to remove the crazy frameworks and dependencies first. Interesting that you say that because um, I'm sure you remember the, the, the good old pet store Mm -hmm. And the Java Pet Store was created by Sun for all the J2EE design patterns and so on. Mm -hmm. And I took this idea of Pet Store and I wrote a Java EE7 mm -hmm. Pet Store mm -hmm. or Java EE6, I can't remember, 7. And a few months ago, I mm -hmm. was trying to migrate that to Quarkus. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting what you're saying because the most difficult thing, and, and then I stopped, I didn't have time. But the most difficult thing I had to do was uh, going from stateful to stateless. Mm -hmm. That was the only thing. Then mm -hmm. uh, the code just basically worked. But because I was using 
uh, EJB Stateful and JSF with uh, Stateful, mm -hmm. the conversation scope and mm -hmm. application scope. That was the most difficult thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was trying to figure out how to re-architecture the entire thing. Other than that, the backend till the, you know, from the stateless to yeah. the database, JAXRS endpoints, nothing has changed. Worked out of the box 10 years after. Yeah, which which is crazy, and of course GSF you could still run them, but this is um, they are different, you know, different how to call it uh, requirements for GSF because you know if you, if you would like to be offline or whatever, it's not doable easily with GSF. So this is why uh, the presentation has to change anyway. But the backend can be usually completely reused, and the migration is way easier than actually. Uh, as estimated even by, by my client. So I would say the entire Java E micro profile is a huge success story, actually. And I was talking to uh, Graham Rocher, uh, the father of Micronaut, mm -hmm. and uh, a couple of weeks ago, so just uh, recently, even uh, Micronaut is um, looking into the core profile. Mm -hmm. So the core pro profile is something new in Jakarta EE10, mm -hmm. and it's a basically CDI light plus. Uh, Are you involved in Jakarta EE10? No, I stopped that. Okay, because uh, what interests me you now, how many implementations are there of Jakarta EE uh, core profile right now? Because it would be uh, super interesting just to use the Jakarta EE uh, core profile just for experimentation would be interesting. Yeah. Uh, what's also, what we we talk now about uh, um, be before I forget. What I think I already I wanted last week actually to try something, I I getting more and more interested in JSPs, Java Server Pages, because in those server side rendering, the entire JavaScript uh, community goes that way, and we had actually the JSPs, and JSPs are crazy fast, and uh, what I what I thought you know how to extract just the JSP engine from you know I don't know uh, Tomcat or Jetty or whatever is I took a look at Jasper just you know during the launch, so okay this would be an interesting project. Because I think something like think like this will happen. That uh, you know we need something uh, server side. JSF is too component based, and we need just a template language like Velocity or FreeMarker or even JSPs are just enough. I mean JSP were okay. I mean was was cute. We have of course cute in, in Quarkus, but uh, you know cute is cute in Quarkus, uh, and and JSP would be everywhere. So that's uh, the thing. I you know I ask the Quarkus team why are you doing cute. Uh, mm -hmm. yet another templating language. Mm -hmm. And funny enough, Micronaut is also doing their own regular expression mm -hmm. uh, uh, language and mm -hmm. uh, templating. Mm -hmm. And both is because of uh, reactive model. So JSP uh, is really blocking. You go, mm -hmm. you ask the JSP, uh, uh, please mm -hmm. compile uh, yourself and bring that back. And the Quarkus team decided not to to use mm -hmm. something like JSP uh, or Mustache or all these templatings because of their reactive mode. So that's why they had to recreate a new expression language and recreate a new templating. So mm -hmm. um, if JSP wants a new a brand new future, maybe they could also have a look into that. I don't know all the technical details, but Quark has said, no, we can't have a, re a re reactive backend, a reactive model. Yeah. And then the JSP uh, bl uh, blocking in front of that. But if you think, um, if you take a look at JSP, what happens? So the first thing is uh, the compiler kicks in and it compiles the JSP into a servlet. And if you take a look under the servlet, there's just Spring concatenation. 
So basically what happens, the string gets concatenated and, it, and one huge string gets returned. And if we get, you know, Project Loom, what we will mean is that every uh, request can run on a virtual thread. But if you if you will get reactivity in the JSP, what this would mean is that, you know, multiple threads can process one request, right? The question is uh, whether it is worth to have multiple threads running in inside a request because if you're running in the cloud, usually you have one core or less. So it doesn't matter a lot. So this would be the first thing. And back to Micronaut, I'm really happy that Micronaut is looking at MicroProfile or at least you know, the core profile because I would like to use Micronaut, but I cannot because all my projects are MicroProfile or Jakarta E. And right now they only support JaxRS and a bit of CDI and bin validation. I think something is missing. Uh, Jason, I think this would be already good. Are they support JaxRS is supported? CDI, I think a bit. And bin validation, would I need a JSONB or, or JSONP or something? But there's not everything was supported. So this actually... Um, would be nice if they would support more, so we could we you would get two great uh, three great uh, runtimes: Micronaut, Quarkus, and Helidon. Yeah, if you look at the J uh, Jakarta EE website, so they don't talk about reference implementation, uh, you know, anymore. They, yeah, they talk about compatible implementations, and um, Quarkus is still not there, and and even for the core pr uh, profile. Uh, mm -hmm. No, the core profile now, but the web pro profile, and um, and I asked the Quarkus team why is Quarkus not, you know, a com mm -hmm. compatible implementation on the on the Jakarta EE, <laughs> and the answer was, I wasn't expecting this one, but the Jakarta EE specification still asks you to package the app in a WAR file. And oh. as you know, Spring, Spring Boot, Quarkus, uh, Micronaut don't do it anymore. So it's just because of this silly thing of okay. the, the Jakarta E specification mm -hmm. you know, asks you to run the bloody WAR file, mm -hmm. which is... One criticism looks... I have to the Jakarta E website is it's really hard to find the implementations. You know, you have to be really dedicated to find them. It's way better with MicroProfile. As a MicroProfile, you know, if you go, if you go through the, uh, you know, the front page, you find, you know, the specs and the implementations easier. And the Jakarta e website is a bit too formal. So I think for, for an outsider, you know, it is really hard to find something uh, because you go to Jakarta e 11 and you just find, you know, the specs and then uh, no implementations. And um, I, I would I would like to make, or I think it would be a good idea to make the implementations a bit more prominent, you know? Because, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I think, you know, it's way better than, than the JCP website, that's for sure. But even when you look at the, they list all the specifications, which is good. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's way clearer than mm -hmm. it was. Uh, but then, you know, if you go to the uh, Jakarta EE specification website, you will see all the specifications. And some are already working on Jakarta EE 11. Mm -hmm. Some are still in 10, of course. So you have a mix of all these specifications with their own versions, and you don't know if, if this version, you know, happens to be part of EE10 or EE11 or EE9. So it's still a bit confusing. I mm -hmm. Yeah. Back to you. So what you said, lots changed. So we have a short excursion to Jakarta in MicroProfile. You've wrote two books. Once, you know, you have to understand Corcus first, and then the second book, what you can do with it, right? So this is the, the next one. 
<laughs> and the last page was wait until my third book. You know? Now, how to refactor the, you know, if you did something, it was wrong. Now I'll show you the, 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 how to architect <laughs> a glassfish. Uh, sorry, yeah, Quarkus. Um, so what happened to you? So you wrote two books and then you said my life changed. So my life changed completely. You, you 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 sold you know millions of Quarkus books and now you are on on a lonely island, uh, lonely island locked locked down again, right? No 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 no. I was after seventeen years of being uh, an independent and a contractor and going from customer to customer. Um, there was this funny story with Microsoft. Mm-hmm. You know, as seventeen years of being independent, you can imagine that. Many many companies have tried to, you know, employ me and mm-hmm. hey Antonio, why don't I you can come imagine, and work yeah. for us? And I was always uh no, not ready for it. And um, actually, Microsoft approached me for a position, mm-hmm. and after seven interviews, I felt miserably. <laughs> <laughs> What they ask you? What, 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 how is the interview uh, like? No, it was, well, it was quite, quite interesting. It's not like, you know, the interviews at Google where you have to do crazy algorithms and so on. <laughs> no, it, were, it wasn't like that at all. And uh, I didn't got uh, the first job offer, mostly because I was uh, based in, in Europe. And, oh. and they needed someone in the U.S. because the entire team was mostly in Europe and Asia and they wanted someone in the U.S. And I said, look, guys, I'm not, you know, I'm not changing places. I'm, I'm good here in Paris. Mm-hmm. Uh, but during this process, actually, I had a few good, you know, feelings with a few members of the interview staff. And a couple of months after, one of these persons pinged me and said, hey, I remember me. Uh, we met during these these interviews at Microsoft two months ago. We have mm-hmm. a new opportunity that could fit you better. Mm-hmm. And uh, here I joined. That's eighteen months ago. Mm-hmm. I'm in what's called a developer di- uh, division. So basically, I do the same work as I used to do. So I'm st- I'm still working with customers. The good thing is it's more and more throughout the world. So that's the beauty of. You know, the lockdown, I think everybody got used to talk in front of a webcam. Mm-hmm. So I have customers in Asia, customers in Africa, in Europe. So mm-hmm. that's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, customers who work with Java on, on Azure. So I'm, I'm really, uh, developer division is the interface between our customers. So mm-hmm. our, I help our customers to... You know, migrate to Azure, re- refactor their app uh, for the cloud, and so on. But also uh, to our um, engineering team who develops Azure, who develops services around Azure APIs, SDKs. So it's really you know, if one customer com- uh, complains about something, uh, you bring it back to to the Azure team and say, well this is not working. Uh, we should do it better. So it's really interesting. Um, I'm. I've, you know, I've been working for more than 30 years now and I wasn't expecting so much fun to have so much fun uh, at this time of my career. And, and, and uh, 20 years ago, you wouldn't even expect to have fun at Microsoft, right? So, Microsoft, I mean, can you imagine? Yeah. And I've just joined the company 18 months ago mm-hmm. and I joined a company who was doing 
who was starting to do Java, you know, Java, Microsoft had been doing Java for five, six years. Mm-hmm. It's not as uh, proeminent uh, as, as .NET, as you can, you know, as you can imagine. <clears throat> but I joined a company 18 months ago where I was doing Java on Azure. And 18 months later, I'm doing AI on Java and Azure. There's AI everywhere. Mm-hmm. When I joined the company, there was a few bits and pieces, you know, I, you could hear some internal speech about can AI. We expect, can we expect a Java API to AI? No, no, I think... You see? No, an API, no. You will just... You know, at the moment, it's it will be one method taking a string and returning a string. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe, maybe a plugin. Yeah, <laughs> so a no. function, Java util function. Yeah, it? because um, you can when you interact with APIs, with mm-hmm. you know, for example, Azure Open A Open AI, which is you know the Azure version of Open AI. Mm-hmm. Um, you can uh, register to have access if you want. It's still uh, limited access, but it's open mm-hmm. to. to to everybody. And if you use the um, Azure OpenAI, what you can do is pass kind of metadata to, to your prompt. Mm-hmm. But that's basically Like it. the context, so, right? Like yeah, the, con- the context. Mm-hmm. But that's uh, basically it. That the moment is you send a huge string and it returns a huge string. So you send a prompt and it returns a... Like a, servlets, you know. A, this is a, a back, We yeah. need a GSP for that, you know. <laughs> exactly. Well, the good thing is it keeps the it keeps the context if you if you ask it. So mm-hmm. that's interesting. You, you can have you, this hey, multi-prompt Ale- thing. Antonio, we need a conversation scope again. Conversation <laughs> scope? That, that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> So, yeah, we'll, so we can with the, we can reuse your Java E seven pet store, you know, in Asia AI. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good conversation scope for OpenAI. Yeah, this this would be great. By the way, um, do you know that Glassfish is alive? Again, yes, yes. I just opened the GitHub uh, issue page, and they are on fire. At least in the Iron Times and uh, the Mate, and uh, they contribute a lot of stuff, which is interesting because you know. Um, 10 years ago it was uh, supposed to be dead and, and now something happened so it's just interesting story you know yeah and even it's on the we, uh, we were talking about the Jakarta EE compatible mm-hmm. uh, implementations mm-hmm. it's even there uh, it's you have a, pay, a payara mm-hmm. you know of course but uh, Glassfish is there mm-hmm. so interesting Glassfish 7 is back yeah I you know, there's WebLogic. Also, WebLogic, I think, 14C started, implemented uh, Jakarta EE10. Wow. And um, so you have WebLogic on one side, Glassfish on the other side, uh, Payara. <laughs> I I still... And and now all that belongs to Oracle, and Oracle is a funny shop where they have their own, El, you know, Eliden. But Glassfish project. not. Glassfish doesn't uh, belong to Oracle anymore. It's like open source. No, this is the Payara guys uh, are, uh, no Payara, uh, Piranha, Arian Times, and Di Matei. Do you don't know it? They they created their own company. So uh, it's not Oracle anymore because no. I thought they had taken gl- uh, Glassfish back. Okay. No, they are there's Arian Times from the Java E uh, spec and uh, Dimate, and I think they are the um, there's a new company, um, and they are doing this, which is really interesting. Um, okay. No, no Oracle. No, because uh, Payara was 
you know, a fork of glassfish many, 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 many years ago. And and I thought glassfish had come back. No, so, it's omnifish, omnifish and piranha cloud. So uh, oh. the omnifish, and they are the uh, they are the prior no payara guys, which are now contributing back to glassfish, which is a really interesting story because it's an independent consulting company. So we have actually piranha and and, and uh, sorry payara. And uh, Glassfish are two competing uh, independent uh, Java e vendors, which is interesting. Gee, I, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but I, I really wonder what happened in terms of licensing and IP. I don't know. So this is um, we have to ask, you know, ChatGPT or Asia, Asia AI. You know what's Azure your opinion? Asia AI. We send this string over and we wait for the response. And. A Helidon is Oracle, which is great, and Helidon and Micronaut uh, are, yeah. are are working together, which is uh, two, two inter- really interesting, interesting uh, runtime. Well, Helidon comes more from the web logic side of it. Mm-hmm. It's the same team, and they, you know, they were trying to do. They are trying to do something out of um, web logic. I think you know the the story of El- of Helidon could. Um, could look like the the story of uh, WebSphere and Liberty. Mm-hmm. It's more or less the same company, more or less the same teams. You know, the products uh, have common points. My, um, Micronaut comes from a, a totally different yeah. story in, into Oracle. But it's it's strange because Elidon and Micronaut, com- you know, compete in a way. Uh, yeah, but um, Micronaut, it uses... Um they are completely different. So Micronaut uses uh, annotation processors to optimize its startup, and the Helidon is just lean. So they and there's completely different implementations. And Helidon is like completely microprofile compatible, and Micronaut is not. And uh, Micronaut is has super fast, you know, um, APIs, and uh, it borrows some APIs like the uh, um, persistence to Helidon. So really interesting uh, part. What happens right now? The only uh, thing what I uh, which what renders um, Helidon unusable for me is you cannot run it in, in a serverless because the the plugin is is missing. So you could use Micronode or Quarkus for its own Azure function, but you cannot do this uh, uh, with uh, with Helidon right now, which um, I don't understand because it's not uh, too much you know to do. I also asked the Omnifish uh, uh, people why they are not doing this, and they tried, but maybe I don't know. They don't see maybe don't. They don't see the opportunity because what I do recently or recently for two years already, we are migrating old, you know, Java monolith and monolith is now back in the game. Now, if if you if you say I'm a monolith architect, you 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 get the best job ever. So you know, Microsoft got that. Yeah. So uh, this is actually very good because. Uh, in the Microsoft era, I always said I do Microsoft microservices, but only two or three, and everyone was happy. And now I say, okay, they were actually what I did, what I told you three years ago. It was actually a monolith, and everyone is happy. So what I do now, right now, right, I try to package as big monolith as possible, and 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 ship it as Azure Function or AWS Lambda, and it works excellent because you know uh, it is it is for enterprise app especially because the usage profile in enterprise you know the people are working sometimes from from you know 9 to 5 if you're lucky and afterwards nothing happens and you know if you have um, azure functions on demand or aws lambda then uh, it is uh, very cheap to run it and also you know uh, compatible with green IT and CO2, CO2 consumption and, and, you know, good for the birds and everything else, right? So this is... <laughs> the birds and the white bears. Yeah, uh, white bears and, you know, for your holes you dig where it was in Africa or everything is actually... <laughs> 
good. Well, and first you have to compile it with Growl, Growl VM, and you don't that have to. kills a few birds. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but but they they were sick anywhere. So <laughs> you just killed the sick birds. <laughs> Growl VM only killed the sick birds. Okay. Yeah. Adam, let's let's write that yeah, down. Yeah, I will cut Adam. it off, of course. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but um, what uh, we actually running on on, on OpenJDK and uh, on on uh, Amaretto, I wanted to say uh, Coretto. <laughs> Coretto, <laughs> because um, it just optimizes if the function remains remains hot. And on Azure Function, that is the case if you have the premium subscription on an AWS as well. All subsequent calls are get optimized, so it can be even cheaper, more cost-effective to run it on JDK than on GraalVM. GraalVM is good for the startup time, so um, yeah. But interesting, and yeah. and mm-hmm. you know that um, AWS a few months ago also announced um, Snapstart. Was, yeah, Snapstart. With we are using crack, it already with the crack uh, JVM, and yeah. it's true that look into this crack CR. AC mm-hmm. uh, and it really looks interesting. I haven't, I haven't played. The interesting with it. part, what I learned as, as well, is not the crack what AWS did. Uh, they are, uh, they are persisting the entire stack, not only the JVM, the entire VM, so the entire micro VM, um, which is really interesting because uh, we can. Uh, it starts in one and a half second, and then it is really warm, and it's and, fully optimized already. Yeah, and uh, this is actually what I'm mainly doing. No yeah. kidding. So, um, because um, the future of cloud, maybe I didn't know that you were working for Asia, so we can actually talk about Asia, which is also interesting. Um, the future of cloud, um, and I think we have similar mindset. So, what I liked about Jakarta E and Java E and J2E is, um, or, or or maybe I introduced myself in on my way. I did it on a conference and it worked well. So, my very first project, you know, we built an e-commerce store, and. Um, and uh, the uh, the management asked us about the server. I said, okay, we need a server. Which one? Like, I wanted to buy Sun. It's like too expensive. Now that we got HP, it was a cube, and we had to install everything on the server, and we were responsible for the on the server for the server, right? And this was like DevOps because uh, we know we build it, we run it. So uh, if something stopped, you know, we get called. Hey, what what's up with the server? Then uh, two two years later, we are not allowed to touch the server because we get uh, you know and DevOps department or Ops department, and they were responsible, you know, to run the server. And we only were supposed, you know, to, to copy the wars over. So this was serverless because I, I actually, I never saw the server. I didn't care about the server. I just, you know, copied the, the war and hoped it will work. And it worked mostly. But this was for me the serverless idea. And, and you know, the database was set up, GMS cluster was set up. So for me, you know, if everything was set up, Managed services. I was happy. I don't, I didn't. I never cared. I say I, I don't care whether you're running MQ series, whatever. I would like to have my JMS API and leave me alone, right? So, and in the cloud, what people are not understanding is, if you go to the cloud, Asia or whatever, then the department becomes responsible to set up the entire infrastructure. So what it means is, it is worse than before because now you have to go to the cloud and you can spend, you know, the, your first week with VNets and then subnets and and the servers and then maybe after two weeks you have whatever you had on premise so i think the only in the only way to improve your situation in the cloud is to go serverless and manage services so what i say before i will install postgres on asia i will go with cosmos db 
because it's already there. You know what, what I'm saying? So the, the, the architecture has to change completely. And this is what I'm doing right now in projects to 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 uh, you know to explain this because what my clients tend to do is and say okay we had Kubernetes on premise OpenShift now we will run OpenShift in the cloud yeah it's like yeah I mean this doesn't work this way because uh, OpenShift was run by different you know department in the cloud someone will have to do it and this is an interesting you know situation and what I also recognize on on Asia they also say you know Kubernetes is actual way to to a complex so what you can you can run of course you know uh, AKS. Um, but you can also uh, run, you know, Azure App Service, for instance, which is a way simpler and more understandable, or or even Azure Container Apps, I think, is a newer service. And the, or or what I did back then on Azure, Azure Container Instances, ACI, you know, very simple and 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 no no clustering, you know, service. And um, I prefer it always, you know, before I use Kubernetes because if I use ACI or Azure App Service. Um, then what I can do is scale, scale to zero. So what I can have, this is important in my projects, I would like that every developer gets an own you know, development environment, which is identical to production. And you can only achieve it with serverless. You cannot just you know, install a Kubernetes cluster per developer. And if you know, start to create slices, it still will behave differently. So this is my observation that um, actually serverless and managed services, even if they are proprietary, is actually a way to go to improve the, the situation, right? This is also your opinion, you know, the, the, the whole, you know, from Java E to, 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 to cloud, what, what would be, you know, the right, you know, strategy? Because in my opinion, we had serverless all the time on-premise. No, but it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, my job at Microsoft is to fo- uh, follow Java customers uh, mm-hmm. to either migrate to Azure Cloud or they're already there, but they want to, to go further. And we, there's so many different strategies. You know, the six R's, re-host, re-platform, repurchase, yeah. uh, refactor, retire, blah, blah, blah. And it's true that um, some customers just do re-host. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what uh, you say. I have a VM mm-hmm. with my app server, my Tomcat, my own Tomcat JT or whatever, with my own database. So we do have customers who start with re, uh, re-hosting. And basically, instead of using their own metal mm-hmm. box, they use ours, but it's it's really, you know, copy-paste. Yeah. So they they have the same VM with the same Tomcat. They install, uh, you know, a da- uh, database or whatever. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, re-hosting is, the, is good for n- new applications who don't know anything about the cloud because, and as you were saying... Um, when you do just re-hosting, that's going to take you month mm-hmm. because most of the customers who do who do that, they don't have a CI CD pipeline. Everything is manual. Um, they use a lot of bash script with Word documents. So they don't use t- uh, Terraform or whatever. So just in the re- uh, re-hosting, which will not save you a lot of money mm-hmm. uh, and not time, definitely. The, uh, there is this learning curve that uh, the customers s- start understanding what is CI/CD, what is the benefit. Mm-hmm. Even containeriz- containerization uh, is, you know, also I have plenty of customers who don't do it. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it will be the replatforming. Now that we've spent one year, we know what a VNet is, we know what 
the Azure Web Console is. We know what Terraform is. Let's go further, which is, I don't want to manage my own VM and my own database. And as you say, let's go for hosted services. Yeah. And today, in in Azure, we had what is called Azure Container Apps. I think mm-hmm. it's AWS, it's called... Uh, Fargate? Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah Fargate. Mm-hmm. Azure Container Apps and Fargate are fantastic because you just deploy a container inside. There's whatever you want. As you say, it could be a monolith, a good old mo- uh, a, 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 a monolith or, or lambdas or functions or whatever. And then if you don't do anything without any con- uh, you know, specific uh, configuration, it will scale down to zero automatically and scale up from zero automatically. Then you can twist things if you want. But um, if the platform sees that your container is not being used, mm-hmm. it will just put it to zero and that costs you exactly zero dollars. Mm-hmm. And uh, if somebody is using it, then it will scale up to one. And mm-hmm. if a lot of people are using them, it can scale up to 10, 30 or 300. Yeah. So that's really interesting. Uh, when you can uh, benefit from from all these managed services. You mentioned Terraform. So Terraform, if you ask me, is technology from hell. So <laughs> this is like, you know, XTalklet uh, version 01. So uh, it's terrible. So what I'm surprised you didn't mention Bicep from Asia. Because, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because Bicep, at least they have proper for loops and if statements. You know, this is... And what I advise to my clients, if you go, you know, to Asia, just pick Asia. Why are you, you know, afraid of Asia if you go to Asia? Because if you would like to, you know, migrate from Asia to AWS, you will spend most of time with VNets, IP address ranges, and, uh, and uh, you know, the credentials, and not necessarily with Terraform. And this is the least, the least problematic, you know, part. Because, you know, even you mentioned uh, Fargate, ACS Fargate, and container apps. If you take a look at the API and the web resource API, they are completely different. You cannot just have the same Terraform script and provision both. So you need two scripts. And then it's interesting, you know, what you would like to do is like, you know, do the first one and the second one and see what they are working. I, I don't even see, you know, the strategy. But Bicep is actually nice. You, and you can run, uh, you get syntax highlighting in Visual Studio Code. It's officially supported by Asia. And what I'm doing, I'm if I do Asia, I do Bicep. On an AWS or the CDK, and Terraform, I would use you know for stuff which is not supported in, in both cases. I don't know if I have proprietary, you know, I don't know OpenShift maybe extensions or something which is not supported by. So I can I can use Terraform for it, but um, I don't know whether you use Terraform. So what happens in real world projects? The first thing that happens, they start Terraform and they find that the entire state is on their machine. They say, okay. What's now? You know, two developers cannot work on it because, you know, the and and we have to, to maintain the state somewhere else. And uh, with Bicep, the Bicep is not translated to this Asia um, arm, I think. Oh, is, um, yep. and, and, and this is actually the way to go, if you ask me, right? Well, you know, since I've, I've joined Microsoft and work on Azure, I also became more expert on AWS. We have lots of customers who mm-hmm. do hybrid cloud. Mm-hmm. They want to run on-prem mm-hmm. and one app on Azure, the other app on, mm-hmm. you know, on AWS, JCP also, mm-hmm. we see it less. I don't know why. Yeah, less, yeah. Um, but um, so then comes, you know, the good old war, 
Java EE versus Spring versus whatever. Because in the cloud, I really don't see a lot of uh, st uh, standardization. No. Te uh, Terraform, as you say, even if you know the language of the Terraform, then, you know, the modules are different from Azure to yeah. AWS. The way the way the SDKs are, the way the managed services are, the CLIs, everything. So we do have a lot of customers who do hybrid cloud. On-prem, they do Bash. You mm -hmm. know, on Azure, they can do Bicep. On AWS, yeah. they do Terraform. But it's really difficult. And um, that's why we even have some customers who don't do any prior prioritary stuff. They will mm -hmm. stay, you know, go back to PostgreSQL instead of uh, using CosmoDB or, or, or things like that. So we even have some customers who try to be as cloud agnostic as possible. But mm -hmm. of course, it's impossible to be zero. It's just impossible. Um, so I... And I don't see all these uh, cloud vendors, you know, sitting around a table and trying to agree on a set of APIs, a set of, you know, I don't see that happening mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. the near future. So mm -hmm. th uh, th there is vendor locking, that's for sure. So I'm actually a client, a customer of, of yours, if you if you will, because either I'm using Azure or AWS, GCP-less. So um, I would say right now, because of my project, mostly AWS, but this is just because this is the momentary, you know, momentary project situation that I see already Asia is coming. But um, for for me, is the um, oh first, what is the motivation of my clients? So um, the the, the they are actually the, the first case is the management decided to go to AWS or Asia, and no one knows why. So this is actually the worst possible case because, you know, and uh, even worse, if the company is big, they have unlimited budget and, uh, and and they do whatever they like and it doesn't make any sense. And and then I just wait until it becomes too expensive and everyone comes back. So this is actually, so in this project, I say, okay, see you in one year and, and, and then, then we will try to optimize because I try to, ex what I say in the cloud for me, cost-driven architecture. In cloud, the only thing which matters is cost because if you Azure App Service and Azure Container Apps, they are identical. The only, di or I mean, from for the developer, the only difference is the costs model. See the right? So the Container Apps is serverless, and, and Azure App Service, you 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 have to buy you know the CPU or whatever, and both make sense. But it depends on your workload, depends on your application, and this is the decision regarding to cost, not architecture. Because as developer, I will ship you know my Quarkus after reading your two books with Docker, and you are done, right? So, the, I mean, the, the, it doesn't matter whether it runs on container apps or uh, Azure App Service or Kubernetes or Azure Function. For us Java developers, it really doesn't matter. So the first one, it happens sometimes, and they are the reasonable start. So I never heard about scalability or latency in my projects. So this is always on-premises good enough. But what happens is some of my clients run out of capacity. They cannot, you know, the data center is, is they, too small. So if they go to you know to Asia or or AWS, they don't care that it is more expensive. They will run some workloads there and should be identical to the local version. So this is reasonable. The next one, what I what I saw is disaster recovery. They had one data center, but they need two with you no know, catastrophic you know recovery. If something happens, you know uh, water disaster or whatever, they can they can they have both those data centers, so they are forced to do so. The similar story, if they have Postgres uh, you know, on-premise, they will maybe use Postgres in the cloud. So um, then, 
on a greenfield project, what happened to me, which was actually surprising, we had to go to the cloud because of security. So interesting enough, you know, Azure and AWS, they have compliance in every direction. Everything is encrypted. It is hard to achieve on-premise. So you, uh, the, the most data centers are not as secured as, you know, the data centers uh, in the clouds. This is also uh, a true story. And, um, and, and then it's a different because we started on Greenfield. So we say, okay, um, we have experience you know, with Java E. What is actually, uh, what we can do in the cloud? And on Azure, it was Azure Functions with a Cosmos DB and the Blob Storage, for instance. This was the natural fit. And uh, I forgot the messaging solution, but it was not GMS. Event Hub? Uh, yeah, but it was not, uh, was not uh, GMS because it was pointless. Like why I need to you know an abstraction for GMS because I will run on, on Azure anyway. So on, um, and on AWS, is AWS Lambda with DynamoDB or S3. So first S3 and then DynamoDB. And if we need messaging, we use SNS, SQS or Kinesis, but not Kafka because I know why I have to manage my own Kafka cluster. This is pointless in the cloud. But on-premise, I would always prefer Kafka and GMS. This is complete different architecture, right? So this is uh, this is uh, this goes in 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 this direction. It was the security, it was uh, disaster recovery often, and this basically was. And um, if we go to the cloud, also important, you know the entire automation. We have we would like to automate everything, and um, so in one day, if we go, you know, from from AWS to Asia. So I will also automate it on Asia and would like to have the same tests, you know, in, in, in both cases. So this is this is actually so this is why we look, you know, how we can easily automate on Asia. This is bicep, and how we can easily automate, you know, on, on AWS this is a CDK. So I try to I don't use cloud formation or CDK, and on Asia I don't use ARM templates, I use bicep. And this is very, very similar, similar uh, architecture. And um and uh, for me it's not about portability, it's more about switching costs. You know, if I'm on Asia, and the code is simple, maybe in one week I can measure to AWS, even if I have to rewrite, you know, some scripts. And portability is usually, you know, I, I invest a lot in Kubernetes and in hope that one day I can migrate between clouds, but I invested that much that even if I will migrate, it, it never pays off, right? It's interesting because uh, uh, Kubernetes is the new app server. It's the know, new uh, web sphere, classic. Yeah, because... As you know, as I said, I have customers who do on-prem hybrid cloud, and they think uh, Kubernetes is the portable, you know, the portability. So they install Kubernetes on-prem. Yeah, they didn't have it, which makes so, sense in the cloud. It doesn't make any sense because you have two, you know, two clouds. You have uh, like Spring Boot in Whitefly, you know. But they do that, you know. They go from we were happy on-prem. With yeah. our scripts and with our VMs, now we are adding uh, Kubernetes on-prem. So, you know, you you have to train everybody. You have to start things. Everybody, why? Because we will use uh, Kubernetes. We will use AKS uh, on Azure and the Kubernetes version on AWS. So there's this idea that. Kubernetes is the new grail of uh, portability. Mm -hmm. You can deploy everywhere, you know, uh, develop once and deploy everywhere with Kubernetes. Which, which is less true than with uh, Java E, because exactly. in Kubernetes, then you don't even have Docker registry, you don't have, you know, the ingresses. This is, yeah. By the way, 
I invited Kelsey Hightower to my podcast and we had chat about that. And he said, you know, this is the guy from, from uh, Evangelist from Kubernetes, from Google. And he said, you know, uh, it was never meant that way that you're playing with YAML. So the Kubernetes is always meant as a platform, you know. And, and I say, yeah, that's what I see. And for, from my perspective, you know, in Asia, you can play with Kubernetes behind, you know, Azure App Service all the time. I don't care. But I would like, you know, just to have a nicer way to interact with the cloud and not YAML. Right? So this is, and even worse, on AWS, if you would like to have a Kubernetes, what usually happens, you have to use CDK to provision the cloud, you know, the uh, VPCs and subnets and so forth. And then you get CDK 8S, there's a CDK Kubernetes for Kubernetes. And the second level is C uh, Kubernetes setup. And after that, you have, you know, something similar to Fargate or Azure App Service, and you're still not done. And 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 um, and uh, I did code reviews, so the developers were completely confused. They, they didn't even knew, know how, how to manage credentials because Kubernetes had own users, the cloud had own users. I'm saying, okay, okay yeah, sure, you have two clouds, you know, one main cloud, and then is the open source cloud on top of the main cloud. But this is hard to explain, but this is obvious, you know, for for us. I think for most Java e people, it's very obvious because you know we had the serverless notion all the time. And now it gets worse if we do lift and shift. And just to add something on what you just said, um, it's true that the you know it comes from the upside of it. Mm -hmm. Let's install Kubernetes on prem. Let's use AKS. Let's use so the ops guys and everybody you know move this way, train, do mm -hmm. CI CD pipeline deployment. Everything got really complex. But then it goes down to uh, local development mm -hmm. and. I have some customers just to run a, uh, an Hello World, uh, they need to install uh, Minikube. Mm -hmm. So the <laughs> developers need to install, you know, Minikube just uh, yeah. because, as you say, it depends, I don't know, on the key vault, on the credentials, yeah. on so much dependencies that even to run something simple, mm -hmm. you need Minikube. And, yeah. it's, and it's exactly what you're saying. It's like 20 years ago where you had it's to worse. install WebSphere locally to, you know, run a bloody... But, but well, 20 years ago, it was only WebSphere Classic that's crazy. All other application servers were reasonable. This, this was the thing, you know. Even WebLogic was great. You yeah, know, we had that story. The WebLogic 8 was perfect. It, it started, yeah. I don't know, in 10 seconds or whatever back then. And it was one jar and it started, right? Classic was, was impossible to install the WebSphere. But all other servers were reasonable. And we do the same mistake 20 years ago, even worse. Because this is like we would install an operating system where we could actually run the app if we don't, don't do any mistakes, you know. And, 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 and in order to do those, we have to play with YAML because the YAML is so complex. We have to use the X doclet, you know, it's called Helm chart, Helm to, chart. To, to, to generate the YAML. In one project, they were proud of a Helm chart. I was like, you are all crazy, you know, 50 parameters. We need actually two RAM, CPU, maybe on where the Docker container lives. And, and you are playing with Helm charts here, right? So... um. Helmchart is good for Asia people who create uh, Asia container instances to the platform, but you know for for developers. And the the the, the next thing, what I think, um, cloud will become some traction. Funny story, which is actually serious. In a project, uh, there was a project manager, and uh, he like you know he likes Quarkus and all the stuff, and and he had a product presentation, and um, yeah, every management says okay. And I, and I wanted also to contribute something, you know, to the to the conversation. And I say, but we are green and CO2 neutral. And this made 
the biggest impact ever. So everyone remembered my sentence, everyone, and you know what we do behind the scenes didn't matter. So it was uh, the birds are important and the green IT was important, right? And I forgot about that. And then I delivered a workshop for a bank. And I asked, you know, uh, at the beginning of the workshop, workshop what do you would like to hear? And uh, actually, surprising, many developers wanted to hear something about green IT. And I say, okay, it's crazy. And then I was my client, and they say they are forced, you know, to do CO2 stuff. So what it means is some company, in Germany at least, are forced to somehow by law, or depending on the, I have to, to investigate a little bit more, you know, to, uh, to, to, to show, you know, what your CO2 footprint is in the entire production chain. And um, and then they become more interesting in serverless, and the reason be is pay as uh, pay as you go. If you invoke something, you on you know on the invoice you see it was invoked that many times, but at least you will see you know they can somehow relate this to CO two con- consumption to energy consumption or whatever. So this becomes increasingly uh, important. And what I also find management of, of smaller companies, so if I have no chance to talk to them, is the serverless and managed services, they look different on the invoice. So what they are talking about is called marginal costs. And what, what marginal costs is, you know, imagine we have a corpus function, you know, uh, buy a pet in your pet store, right? If this function cost an invocation cost us, you know, 50 cents, but the revenue to buy the pet store is like five euros. No one cares about how often it is invoked. And this is what uh, this, this management would like to see. It, it is pointless how expensive it is, you know, how much, you know, how much uh, margin they have per call. And this is impossible in Kubernetes. So I, and the, the QCon, they are announcing, you know, another open source tools which measure the costs inside Kubernetes. And I was okay, now we have a monolithic cloud and now we need uh, even more tools to find out what's going on. So I know projects, they pay, you know, thousands of euros per month in Kubernetes and they have no idea what's run inside. So they have a rough idea, but they cannot tell you exactly which microservice, you know, consumes how much, you know, resources, but pay as you go, you exactly see everywhere. You know, you say, okay, this function was invoked this time, Cosmos DB is invoked, you know, million of times. And this is the future for invoicing, I would say, which is incredibly important for management. And, you know, you were saying previously, why am I uh, customers uh, Mm -hmm. moving uh, to the cloud? You mentioned security, scalability. Um, Multi-region is also one of them. Mm -hmm. And Disaster recovery is multi-region, right? And it's true that uh, energy saving is also becoming something. Because um, Azure has already said, you know, by 2030, we will be equal in terms of CO2. Mm-hmm. And by 2050, we will uh, recover everything from the beginning. Um, so these companies, you know, when you call Azure or AWS, your energy bill is huge, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. So they are the first ones trying to improve every little bit of their yeah. data center. Yes. And some customers have that, you know, they, they have been asked... What do you do? What uh, do you do for CO2 and energy? And instead of doing a huge effort on their side, they, it's also one use case. We will go to the cloud where we can measure everything and, and we can, and we can show numbers and we know Azure or AWS Mm -hmm. will make more and more efforts because Mm -hmm. these huge data centers 
cost a lot of money for uh, Microsoft and, and Amazon. What I know about Asia is, I think in your console, uh, you can also see, you know, how an energy efficient partic uh, particular, yep. particular region is, which is, um, which is, um, becomes increasingly important. And, and I would say on-premise data centers cannot compete with Azure AWS because you are building, you know, custom custom hardware. You have your, you know, the airflow already optimized. You know, the the, the power. So it is incredibly efficient. And uh, I don't know whether they, I forgot about the project. I think Project Nautica, right, from Asia, where you had your own data center, you know, in the ocean. They try you know to cool it. This yeah. is yeah. This was actually a cool one. Yeah. So um and uh, lots of experiments is going on. But um, one, yeah, one because to have a data center under the ocean, for you need a lot of R and D, so you can't do it yourself. That's yeah. for sure. And and no octopus, you know, which is disturbing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we kill birds, yeah. white bears. Let's not kill the octopus. The, the octopus is a very good one. It's a worm for him. You know, he will he will love you know your data centers be <laughs> in the ocean. So um. Antonio, uh, one suggestion. Uh, you will come back and I would like, you know, to hear Java on Asia because I was unprepared that you are on Asia. The next time I would like to talk, you know, a Kubernetes a little bit less. I mean, because everyone knows that you can, you know, run for thousands of euros a Kubernetes and, and, and start a Hello World with in Minikube. So this will work after you invest a lot in YAML editing tools. <laughs> but uh, we had it already with XDoclet and Helm charts and everything, right? So, but uh, more modern stuff. Asia functions, for instance. You can run Quarkus on Azure Function out of the box. Uh, you can run Azure, Azure Container Instances, Azure Container Apps, Azure Container Services. So I would say we would try to investigate as many you know ways to run Java on Azure as possible. Let's do that. If you want, I'll come back and, and we can focus on yeah, Java this, this would be Azure cool. if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Could be nice. So this, uh, yeah, yeah. Then where people can buy your books if they are still available, and where you can they fi can find you know. Uh, yeah. No. Well, you know, I'm, I'm not big on social networks, so I'm, I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn. I tried uh, Mastodon like everybody. I tried many things, but it ends up that I'm not big on social media. So Twitter, yes. Twitter is good, LinkedIn. Yeah. And for my books, you can actually buy, buy them on, on Amazon. Mm -hmm. uh, you can even print them because uh, Amazon now has this thing where you can print per copy. So if you want a physical version of my book, you can. And, but this and is not new. You always had the printed books. You're saying, you know, like this is very new that you have a paper book. No, because um, with with Amazon, what I did first is I published uh, my books in, in EPUBs. Ah. So you could only have them on okay. EPUBs. And a, and a few years ago, they said, now you can also have a PDF and we will print it for you. So that's nice. Oh. So I have the two formats. And um, if you give me a few months, um, I'm trying to update my books for Quarkus 3, cool. which is really good. You know, Quarkus 3, Jakarta EE10, uh, and plenty of goodies. So um, I've started to update my uh, Quarkus books to be Quarkus 3 compliance, but you'll have to give me a few more months. But you said if you are bored, you are working, you are writing books, right? My God, you know, I have but kids. You are not, I have, yeah, I, but, but I, what I understood, now you are working for Microsoft. I mean, maybe you should cut it out, this section with, you know. The <laughs> I would love to be bored. You know, I think, I, I, think I, I don't have time to be bored anymore, which is a real pain. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was really nice, you know, to, talk to, to catch up with you. And uh, interesting, you're working for, for Microsoft. I didn't knew that. So even, even better. 
And let's wait. Let's not wait for, for two years uh, to meet in person. Perfect. <laughs> let's wait somewhere. Let's meet somewhere, have a beer. Yeah. You know. Or milk, milk, because you know it's, it's better for the birds. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>